So every so often I like to post uh, a prophecy uh, brief uh, called Things to Watch, and this is one of those. Um, I meant to post on this uh, a few days ago and uh, just got so busy with a conference last week that I uh, just got piled up on some things and so wasn't able to really address it, but I wanted to go ahead and do that. And especially so since we've had a couple of questions come up uh, regarding um, the royal changing of the guard, um, if you will. The passing of Queen Elizabeth II, beloved by many around the world, um, uh, a monarch who served, was the longest serving monarch in England's history. Um, she also was, um, you know, the epitome of, of grace and royal, you know, character and carrying herself and, you know, with the love of the people and all this kind of thing. She, again, she was greatly beloved. And actually, it's kind of exciting to think that she, uh, it, that there are many that say that she was a believer in Christ, too. And so I, I'd love to think that, uh, that that's the case. Uh, certainly, she uh, tipped her hat to people like Martin Lloyd-Jones and, and other um, certainly to Christ himself and that kind of, and so she was prone to that kind of thing. And I, I'd like to think that that, that was uh, indicative of a genuine uh, trust in Christ. I don't know personally, I've never looked into it uh, that, that much, but I know many have spoken that about her. And so I hope that's true. Um, but the, but she did pass again, just uh, uh, nearly a week ago. And, um, and so upon her passing, um, Charles, Prince of Wales, now has become King Charles III, and he now sits on the throne in England. It's probably worth pointing out that when we talk about royalty in, in England, we're not really talking about um, we're not really talking about direct political power. That's an important uh, distinction to make. It's not like our president per se. I mean, the prime minister is more like our president in a sense, uh, but Parliament then ultimately is the ruling body. And so, when we talk about royalty in England, uh, we're talking about really leadership through influence. And that is not an insignificant thing, even though, again, they can't pass laws and all that kind of thing. They can, in fact, um, put forth policy ideas and and influence the people to, uh, to want these things. And so even though they don't have direct political power, they do still have a tremendous amount of power through influence. And again, that's an important thing because influence today is a pretty significant capital on the landscape. So if you have influence and you have the ear of the people, whatever people that would be, whether nationally in your own country or globally, um, you you do in fact wield a significant amount of influence and therefore power. Um, and so the question arises, now that Charles is the King of England, no longer just the Prince of Wales, um, will we see an influence in regard to maybe kicking into high gear uh, the moving uh, forward with the Great Reset. Now, it's hard to imagine at this point, if you're watching this podcast, that you're unaware of what the Great Reset is all about or the fact that it's underway. But just very, very briefly, briefly as I know how, um, I just want to touch on that for a second just so you know what we're talking about. Uh, the Great Reset is a movement uh, that is spearheaded by the World Economic Forum, uh, which is uh, was founded and it is currently continues to be chaired by uh, Klaus Schwab, who is becoming himself a household name, uh, someone who only really um, people who watched moves in regard to globalism would have ever really known who he was five years ago. Uh, now, in the last two years, has really become a household name among uh, an increasing number of people. Uh, it's, it's getting to the point now where ideas like the Great Reset and even people like Klaus Schwab um, 
to not know about these things is really putting you in the minority. This is a very, very large movement that is openly spoken about and is well underway in terms of its implementation. And it addresses five major pillars in regard to global society. Uh, one has to do with government uh, or you know politics. Uh, one has to do with the economics, another environmental. Uh, there's a strong social pillar to this and then technological. Uh, technology and advancement, uh, specific dealing with things like AI and biotechnology and those kinds of things, data being a great driver of, uh, of the move forward in that particular pillar of the Great Reset. And so, uh, and then the fourth industrial revolution, of course, being connected with that, the idea that data is going to be the big mover uh, in regard to the next paradigm shift in industrialization and, and technology and, and so far as it affects mankind's well-being and prosperity in that. So. Um, King, Prince Charles, uh, now King Charles, um, it's going to take a little getting used to saying that actually, but King Charles um, is, um, has been a very, very vocal proponent of the Great Reset, uh, and in particular in regard to the environmental element of it. Uh, along with Klaus Schwab, he has uh, spoken very, very openly about the COVID pandemic being, uh, uh, having created a very brief uh, window of opportunity that we have never had before and may never have again to build a new, a better society, to create a world that is rooted in sustainability and um, and, and and all of these things we spoke about regarding the five pillars of the Great Reset. Uh, now, his particular focus has most strongly again had to do with the environment, but the environment is not a uh, a standalone element within this movement, the Great Reset. All five of these pillars, uh, none of them stand alone. They actually are all uh, deeply intertwined and deeply interconnected. And uh, and moves in one of those areas likely has uh, reach into the others. And this is true of all five pillars. And so when we talk about environment, so we talk about green technology, and we talk about um, that area, we're talking about um, things that would deal with economics because when you talk about moving toward green you're talking about changing entire sectors of industry and uh, and ultimately creating uh, a, a completely different paradigm in regard to how you approach uh, to how you approach economics and business and all of those kinds of things and of course economics in terms of national uh, connection with national affairs or global affairs is always intimately connected with politics and it doesn't take any uh, any research at all to, to begin to see where those connections are made. And so uh, each of these things ultimately touches on others, some more so than others. But when we talk about environment, it's, it's important for us to recognize that that also means we are talking about economics and we're talking about politics. And most people will not really think this through for various reasons. One is because it just seems nebulous and out there and it's just something that's happening, but it doesn't really affect me. It will affect you. It's it's already affecting you, and it's going to affect you in far greater um, uh, far greater scope in the days ahead. And uh, getting back to the Prince Charles or King Charles, again, it takes to get used to King Charles um, uh, component in this. Charles is a strong, strong component of a move in this direction, and he is very influential in regard to just his speaking, his uh, his, his connection with world leaders, and that kind of thing. And so I do think, I don't think it's the thing that's going to suddenly kick everything into high gear. I don't think his ascension to the throne is necessarily going to make 
suddenly tomorrow everything's going to click into gear. But I don't think it's insignificant because, again, the World Economic Forum, like royalty in England, doesn't lead through any direct political power. They're an unelected body of people that, that are uh, completely voluntarily uh, joining together to talk about how to solve global problems like pandemics or like, um, you know, famines or disease or any of those kinds of things. How, how is a global society, can we deal with these things? Well, the World Economic Forum has positioned itself at the forefront of leadership on trying to bring people together in order to answer those questions. And so therefore, uh, as a connection uh, agency, uh, an agency that seeks to put together a confederation of nations that join together to deal with these problems, they wield tremendous influence. And so when, uh, uh, it's, it's like back in the days when you see those commercials for E.F. Hutton. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Well, when Klaus Schwab talks, more and more people are listening. Uh, Klaus Schwab, of course, heads the World Economic Forum. Their, their most well-known gathering is known as the Davos Agenda, which is a, a yearly meeting in Davos, Switzerland where world leaders have gathered for 50 years uh, from various countries. And of course, the meetings uh, started in, in relatively small numbers, but now have grown to pretty dramatic numbers. Uh, the last uh, in-person meeting, or not the last, uh, the, the last in-person meeting before the COVID outbreak, um, there was something like 18 or 1900 people there, leaders from 150 different countries, um, leaders and representatives from 150 countries, uh, all coming together to discuss how it is that we can incrementally move the world uh, into an entirely uh, new kind of a situation where we are far more interconnected and we're sharing resources between countries. Technology, again, driving this. And technology today, particularly driving this. Technology in the last 20 years has increased at such a breathtaking scope. And, and the capacities we have now, even prior to AI, but uh, introduce AI into this, and we have ourselves a, a very, very different landscape technologically. And this is allowing now for many of the ideas and goals that uh, have been just talked about and have been dreams really of, of, of organizations like the World Economic Forum or nations that, that, uh, that, that buy into their philosophies. Um, what used to be a dream and a hope is, is far more than that now. It's, it's, it's within the grasp of reality. And is again, as, as we mentioned, often is, is actually unfolding right now. So moving on from Charles, again, I think his ascension is meaningful because of his voice of influence, but it doesn't all rest on Charles. Again, there are leaders from around the world that are uh, gathering here. As a matter of fact, speaking of world leaders, uh, I have heard rumors that, um, um, that uh, uh, oh shoot, I just lost his name, just slipped out of my mind. Um, the uh, Prime Minister of Canada. Um, oh, it's right there. I can't believe I did that. Anyway, but uh, he is apparently being groomed to step in and take on Klaus Schwab's uh, role in the World Economic Forum one day, uh, should that become necessary. Um, Trudeau. Uh, Trudeau. Uh, thank you, all of you who are shouting his name out there. We're watching this. But, uh, um, although this is being recorded prior, so whatever. But uh, Justin Trudeau, but he's being groomed. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, of course, uh, speaks very, very eloquently in regard to these things. Um, leadership in, in countries around the world are completely on board with this. And so in the days ahead, as more and more leaders are in positions of influence, whether politically directly or whether just through influence, 
I would expect uh, that you will begin to see very, very large uh, steps forward in this regard. And I could go on literally, I mean literally for hours on this. Um, and so let me just uh, speak to a couple of things here without getting super lengthy on it. But um, in terms of economics, uh, if you are watching, and at least here in the United States, and I know this is true and has been for some time around the world, uh, the housing market in the United States, more and more economists are uh, encouraging people to put off lots of house buying until 2024 because there is a financial crash that is going to be happening within the next 12 months. Uh, this is not, you know, tinfoil hat, prophecy nut people, uh, that kind of thing. I throw myself, you know, speaking to people like myself who watch these things. But for people on the outside who don't pay attention to these things, to hear someone say something like that, again, sounds outlandish and crazy and, and conspiratorial. But you need to understand that these are secular economists that make a living in the world of, of economics. People that people listen to, not just people like me, but people who want to know what's going on in the world of, of, economy, of the national economy and that, they listen to people like this. I'll put some posts, uh, some, uh, some links here so you can read some of these things and watch some of these things. Excuse me, but these people are saying that there is a, uh, a uh, and they're, they're saying potentially, but you can tell they're saying that just because they want to hedge a little bit. But you can tell they believe, and from what they're looking at, uh, we're at a place where this is very likely going to happen in the next 12 months. We're currently in a recession or sort of a pseudo recession here in the United States. Um, which is not an insignificant thing, considering the surrounding elements of this. Uh, and by the way, even though the American economy is in tremendous debt, uh, both to China and, and otherwise, our economy is still perceived to be uh, the strongest in the world, although that is changing rapidly. In the past, we've talked about, and I'll just mention briefly, uh, we've talked about how uh, the United States dollar, the U.S. dollar, is being shifted, uh, is being sort of supplanted as the reserve currency, uh, which mean, which is to say the currency that, by and large, business around the world is done in. Um, and it's being supplanted, is sort of being weakened, and it is time for another currency to take its place. And there are, uh, not none have specifically, but there are contenders for that. Uh, the Chinese yuan is one of those. Uh, when when Russia reconnected its economy to uh, the gold standard, there was, uh, of course, it became much healthier very quickly. Uh, and, and the fact that it became healthy quickly, quickly being a key element in that, is an indicator that um, that there are elements that can cause an economy to, 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 to make quantum leaps forward and become much more influential. Um, so there are contenders to the next who will be the next reserve currency. But again, I mentioned uh, Ray Dalio. If you read uh, Ray's book on, um, I don't know Ray Dalio, I don't mean to make it sound like he and our buddies or anything, but if you read his book that speaks about these things, his latest book, um, he talks about how that we're sort of in a natural cycle of, of an economic cycle where nations, one nation is on top of the world and they're the, you know, sort of the standard by which everything is measured and then that nation is ultimately supplanted by another nation. This has happened about every 600 years, uh, actually about every 200 years, but this has been going on, I should say, I think he studied the last six to 800 years, and about every 200 years we see this cycle where we're right at that place. Now, whereas 
in the past, most of this was most often this was accomplished through military um, conquest in concert with internal strife. Here in the United States, it's entirely possible that it is our internal strife and in other internal factors that are seeking to undermine our own economy, uh, our own current administration, um, and there are various factions within our uh, of influence within our country that are seeking to undermine the United States. And uh, all of these things working together will very likely in the next short little bit cause us to sort of fall from our place of prominence into a place of, um, you know, like all the other countries, somebody else will be on top. Well, that's going to have repercussions around the world economically. And so we need to be aware of that and pay attention to those kinds of things. And when you couple that with the idea of changing the way that we approach environment and politics, it's not just about... Uh, it's not just one pillar. It is a combining of these ideas together. Um, so I say that, and it's hard for this not to... I, it, it's hard to talk about these things in succinct terms because it's pervasive, it's far-reaching, uh, and the amount of content that is openly available to read about it is myriad. I mean, it's 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 impossible to know everything about all of these things. There's just so much. But the thing I, I guess I'll key in on, maybe I'll even just close with this and kind of leave you with the encouragement to read on these things and learn more about it and, and, and really invest yourself in understanding these things, is that the, um, the fact that this information is out there and it is being put out there daily, and it's not being hidden, it's not being spoken of in corners in the dark, it's being spoken of very openly in itself should be alarming to us. The fact that those who are driving this, this agenda see it as a very good thing and are just as a foregone conclusion assuming everybody else thinks it's a good thing. That means they're not afraid to talk about it and they're, they're going to push this thing through. Uh, we need to understand that we're going to be in a very, very different world very soon. I, a matter of fact, I think the upcoming elections uh, here in the next couple of months here in the United States in November, um, we're going to probably, very likely, see, um, again, I don't mean to, I, I don't know this for sure, but my suspicion is we're not going to see a changing of the guard in uh, in terms of our Congress in 2024, or 2024, uh, I'm sorry, 2022, and I don't think we're going to, I'm not sure we're going to see a change of parties in the White House in 2024. It's not that I don't want to see one, I do, I very much do, but my concern is that the powers that are driving this are going to do whatever it takes to make sure that we don't see that change, because this movement is built upon key players that have the influence and power to drive this agenda forward, and those who are driving it People like George Soros, um, you know, again, the World Economic Forum, the International Monetary Fund, the World Health Organization, uh, uh, major names in, that in previously in business, now in global uh, influence, people like Bill Gates and such. Again, these are not new things to talk about. This has been going on for a long time and continues to go on. Um, we are just in a position where I believe we've hit the point where we're past fail-safe. Now again, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, if it turns out we have a red wave and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves going back to, uh, to the way things were, 
uh, not the way things were, but we go back to a more conservative uh, uh, leadership, I'm going to be way on board with that. I love that. I want that. Um, but at the same time, the scriptures tell us that the world is going to move in a direction that is going to ultimately find itself positioning itself against Christ and his return. And the things that we're seeing today are big steps forward in that regard. When uh, Revelation 19 happens and Jesus returns, he's going to find, of course he knows this, obviously, but he's going to be met by a world that wants to see him overthrown and kept from establishing his kingdom. Well, the kingdoms of this world will be joined together uh, in resistance against him before they become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And so, we just want to make sure that we're aware of this, we pay attention to this, we don't turn a blind eye to these things, but instead, we are well aware and we're paying attention. As a matter of fact, uh, a friend just sent me an article this morning asking why it is uh, that we don't see more conservative outlets and politicians and such talking about the Great Reset. Why is it they're not doing this? Why aren't they talking more about this? I have to read the article, but I can give you my answer on that, on that question. And that's because when it comes to high levels of political, um, uh, in our politics, at least in America here, um, I don't, I think the higher you get and the longer you've been in, in, uh, in government, the less distinction there is between parties. Uh, many of our folks in government have a globalist agenda. There are some young idealistic politicians that go in to politics wanting to do its best for the United States but ultimately um, those that have been around for a far longer time those who are really pulling the levers uh, people like Nancy Pelosi and such um, they have they have a vested interest in globalism they want to see this world become something very different than what it is uh, and that's why you see many policies that undermine um, our capacity here in, in uh, the United States but again that being said um, as often as we talk about this, and, and I do sort of romantically long for the good old days in America. I mean, Ronald Reagan was my my guy, man. That was my president there. And, and uh, not that he's perfect, but um, but I really, really appreciated him and, and all that kind of thing. So I, I do have a deep love for uh, the idea that is America. And, uh, but I also harbor no illusions. Um, I'm not actually Democrat or Republican. I mean, I do vote a certain way. But... Truly, um, I'm a monarchist. I'm waiting for Jesus to come and set up his kingdom. And so the things that we're seeing around us cause me a bit of internal tension because I, I do want to see our country once again be strong and be a light on a hill for everybody. But I also recognize that the Bible says something very different about the world when Jesus comes. So we continue to talk about these things. We share these ideas. We spend time... Um, trying to bring a measure of understanding to what's going on and all that kind of thing. Um, and we do so in order to help prepare us for what's coming, that we harbor no illusions regarding, well, that was dangerous. We harbor no illusions um, regarding what's going to happen. It is going to happen and we need to understand that. So believer, join me if you will in praying, uh, not only for our country, again, we would love to see God work in a dramatic way. But I would also suggest that we pray that we, you and I, and other believers, uh, become more and more prepared for what is coming. That we not anchor ourselves in this life, but instead we prepare ourselves for what is to come. I think we're gonna be out of here before the Antichrist comes on the scene. I am a premillennial, pre-tribulational believer, um, but even though that may be the case, and I believe it is, even though that may be the case, 
it is entirely possible that um, we're still going to see a lot of very difficult things come down the pike um, before Jesus does come for us. So we want to be ready. We want to be mindful. And we want to pray that more and more believers take on a deeper study of prophecy, that more churches would begin to teach these things and would spend a good season acquainting themselves with what the Word has to say about these things and also what's going on around us. Um, I, uh, uh, I, I often hear uh, folks coming to church or folks that comment on the videos um, how they just aren't, they're, they're in a church that just doesn't teach these things, you know, or they come to our church and they say, we came from a church that never touched any of this stuff. And, uh, I, I find that really saddening. I'm glad, I'm glad that we can, you know, engage on these things together, but it really is sad to think that in this period of time, when the church can be at its most influential, uh, in many respects that we're neg uh, neglecting that. You know, it's Paul, when he planted the church in Thessalonica, um, we know from the two letters that he wrote that he spent a good amount of his time, brief as it was, three weeks he was in Thessalonica, we know from Acts. But in those three weeks, he planted a church, established leadership, um, and he talked about eschatology. Those two letters provide uh, significant insight into our understanding of, of end times prophecy. And so for the church today to neglect that and to feel like it's unimportant, uh, to me, just makes no sense at all. Yes, of course, the gospel is the most important thing. Paul thought so, too, but still he found time to talk about these things. And I think we, we are unwise to neglect them. And so, um, so that being said, let me just maybe end with that, just that encouragement um, to be thinking about these things, praying about these things and to be engaging on these things. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and grace toward us. How can we... Uh, how can we not thank you for such out, outstanding grace and love toward us? Uh, not only in what you've accomplished in Christ on our behalf, but the fact that that, uh, that you have given us such insight into what is coming down the road. We thank you that we're not left ignorant without understanding of these things, but instead you've given us tremendous insight so that we would know what's coming and be prepared for it. Uh, and that we, like watchmen on the wall, would warn others about it so that they would know too. Help us for our part to be that, to be mindful, to be aware, to be students of these things as we are students of scripture and to be warning people about it, to let people know that the time is coming when Jesus will be returning. And of course, the time when he comes to snatch away his bride is even sooner. So help us, Lord, to be about that business that we would not be neglecting these things, but rather would be as we wait patiently and with excitement, that we would also seek to equip people to themselves be excited and living in anticipation. So thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We bless you for this. And um, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me uh, encourage you, if you have any questions or thoughts or comments and you want to share them, you can do so in the comment section below. Uh, the, the videos, or if you want to go to uh, my website at parsonspad.com, you can subscribe to the audio version there. You can uh, watch and listen to these videos there as well. Um, or if you would like to um, just go to our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com, you can watch uh, these videos uh, posted there as well. You can also email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And I really can't tell you enough how much I appreciate uh, being able to spend some time together talking about these things and considering these things. It's wonderful to be uh, uh, along with like-minded believers who are just excited to see Jesus come. So uh, may he help us to have our hands on the plow as we wait. So thanks for watching and listening, and we'll catch up with you soon.